0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: People want to work, but our bodies at the moment are broken and medical science doesn't yet know how to fix them.
2: This is not like anything we've experienced before. This is a mass disabling event.
3: Like entire days where I've been in bed and I just couldn't get up, just didn't have any um, energy
4: at all to do anything, let alone work. We've carried out research with employers and it showed that almost half of organisations had people with long COVID. It's the fifth main cause of long-term sickness absence in the UK.
5: Long COVID is soul destroying. I don't
4: have a life.
0: It's brutal, it's disabling, and we really don't know much about it, especially how it's playing out at work. The ongoing effects of a COVID-19 infection long COVID is hitting our workforce, so what is it? How do you manage it among your people? And if you have it, how do you get yourself back into work when getting out of bed seems like a superhuman effort? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and I'll be listening in with increased interest to what our experts on This Working Life have to say because, well, I just tested positive to COVID, but I know enough not to push through. I'm recording this script for a few minutes and then I'm heading back to bed.
1: My name's Tracy Spicer. I'm an author, broadcaster, and journalist. How are you feeling, Tracy? <laughs> Pretty rotten, Lisa, but I'm not the only one. There are so many people experiencing long COVID at the moment, and depending on what studies you look at, it's one in three people or one in five people. Either way, um, what we're looking at is a mass disabling event across society in the coming years. And I don't think people realise just how sick you become when you have this. So when did you first contract COVID, Tracy? Uh, I tested positive to COVID on the 2nd of January this year. I'd been, like everyone, incredibly careful during the pandemic and went up to Queensland to see the family for Christmas and caught it up there. Consequently, I was uh, bedridden for two weeks. I probably should have gone to hospital, to tell you the truth, but I just was too weak. Wow. (laughs) I lay in bed and pretty much moaned for two weeks as the virus raged through different parts of my body because... It's not only respiratory, it's vascular, it's neurological, and it's cardiac as well. Right. And then after those two weeks, what happened then? Well, I started to feel a little better in the last two weeks of January, although I had the worst cystitis I've ever had in my life, and that was definitely the virus attacking the kidneys and the bladder. Mm. And then February, I thought, oh, yes, I'm feeling a little bit stronger. I'll walk the dog for 20 minutes every second day. And then halfway through February, I tried to do a reformer Pilates class, which is, you know, lying down exercise. It's (laughs) not going for a run. It's not running a marathon. And honestly, I thought I was having a heart attack. I had chest pain. I couldn't breathe. I was probably 5 to 10% of the strength that I usually am in the class, and I've done it for years and years. And that's when I thought, oh, goodness, this seems to me like long COVID. And so I stopped exercising immediately, which fortunately was the right thing to do. But unfortunately, my condition has deteriorated daily pretty much since mid-February.
0: Now, I've heard you describe your feeling like a shadow of your former self because of long COVID. What did you mean by that?
1: What I mean by that is that it's like a living death. You have such limited energy during the day, but it's more than feeling tired or exhausted or fatigued. Think of it like this. You wake up every morning, feeling like you've been run over by a truck Mm. or the worst hangover you've ever had or the worst hay fever, allergies and asthma you've ever had combined. For example, this morning I woke up, I meditated for half an hour to get some more oxygen into my blood, otherwise I can't get out of bed. Physically, I rolled my wheelchair to the kitchen made porridge. Uh, That was quite energetic, so I had to lie down for half an hour after doing that. I answered probably two or three emails and then had to go and meditate and deep breathe again for 10 minutes to have energy to do the audio test for this radio interview. And that's how most days go. So when you think about it like that, Add the number of medical appointments that people have to go to. I've been going to medical appointments every day, sometimes two or three a day. How on wow. earth can people work when they're mm. feeling like this? And so, what are the implications
0: for your work life then, Tracy?
1: Oh, the implications are enormous for everybody, Lisa. Um, what happened with me was I tried to continue working. Roughly four days a week from March onwards, that went down to three, two, one, and now I'm working four hours a fortnight (laughs) is all I can manage. It's a huge workplace issue. I noticed that in America, Joe Biden made some very strong comments a couple of months ago about it being uh, an issue of workplace disability and discrimination, Mm. and he's thrown an awful lot of money towards government departments, both research and workplace to help people through this. In fact, the World Health Organization uh, last year put out a document saying employers, even after people just get COVID, have to ease people back into the workplace. But that's not happening. People aren't aware they're rushing back into work and exercise and, you know, potentially damaging their health for life. So, I recognise that I am incredibly fortunate to be someone in my mid-50s. I can rely upon a little bit of my savings. I can afford to only work four hours a fortnight. But the overwhelming majority of people, particularly young people, they can't afford to quit their work. People with families, you know, how are they going to cope if this isn't considered to be a disability ongoing and given government
5: support? My name is Makep Louise Abercrombie. I'm 49 and I'm a sold I've I'm a sole trader registered bus agent. I first contracted COVID around the 14th of April and had a positive rat test on April the 16th, 2022. Long COVID has impacted me mentally, physically. I just it's very hard to put into words. I have no social life. I'm stuck in a room, in my bed, and I sleep, probably 14 hours a day at least, and I can't even walk to the end of my driveway. It's so soul, soul-destroying. I don't have a life. I have had difficulty speaking for nearly three weeks. I have chest pain from trying to speak and my voice, I do not have a sore throat. So the voice that you hear is because I can't breathe. And also because I've got scarring on my lungs and everything is so inflamed from COVID influenza. A, everything is so inflamed just everyday tasks of literally having a shower is exhausting, and I have no voice. Long COVID is something that is not seen. It's, it's a tiring, exhausting illness that people don't believe in, but it's true. And there are so many that are out there. I've only had this for eight weeks. There are people out there that have had it for 18 months. And nobody understands. And you feel very, very alone. Nobody believes you. Nobody understands. And you get no support. I have none.
2: Long COVID came onto my radar around May Uh, of 2020. And since then, my team has managed the care of just over 2,000 long COVID patients.
0: That's Dr. David Petrino, a physiotherapist with a PhD in neuroscience. He heads up rehabilitation innovation at Mount Sinai Health in New York City.
2: Long COVID is what we would refer to as an infection-associated chronic illness. We're starting to see it occur in individuals who have been acutely affected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, you know, COVID-19, and then they go on to start to develop some chronic problems. Most notably, people experience severe fatigue, severe cognitive impairment, heart palpitations, pain in their chest, all sorts of neurological signs and symptoms like headache and numbness and tingling down the arms and legs, and also a symptom that we call post-exertional malaise, people losing a lot of function after they engage in any level of exertion, whether it be physical, mental or emotional.
0: And so how has long COVID impacted your patient's ability to work? What have you
2: seen? So in January of 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 this year, we published a paper in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation where we showed that around 50% of our patients have experienced a change to their employment status. And that's a really concerning number, uh, as you might imagine, especially with the CDC announcing that one in five people who experience COVID-19 infection will go on to develop persistent symptoms. Mm. And we've seen amongst that change of employment status, we've seen people who are listed themselves as unable to work as a result of their long COVID illness, rise by about 20%. So so people went from not being on full disability benefits prior to COVID to around 20% of our patients being on disability benefits. And a further, you know, roughly 10% of our patients being unemployed now as a result of their long COVID symptoms.
0: You mentioned disability. So is long COVID categorised
2: as a disability? Uh, yes, it is. So, late of, late in 2021, the Biden administration listed long COVID as a recognised disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act.
0: And do you know about Australia, David?
2: To my knowledge, currently in Australia, uh, long COVID has not been listed as a recognised disability.
0: And so, what are the implications of this, whether or not it's categorised as a disability and workplaces then?
2: You know, the, the implications are dire. The implications really mean that individuals can be easily discriminated against without any recourse if if their condition is not recognised as a disability. For instance, an employer can say to their employee, listen, you're you're missing too many days of work and I'm not interested in making accommodations for the fact that maybe you need work from home options or maybe you need different hours or or to be able to flex your hours, I'm just going to fire you. Mm. Now, if you have an individual with a spinal cord injury who requests accommodations of this nature due to the fact that a spinal cord injury is a recognised disability, by law, the employer needs to grant these accommodations. This is how we create an equitable society. However, if you don't recognise long COVID as a, as a recognised disability, people with long COVID do not enjoy those protections and it can be incredibly detrimental to their ability to, you know, earn a living and and improve their quality of life.
3: My name is Judy Lee, I'm 38 years old and uh, I am an IT project manager. I contracted COVID near the end of March 2020 since I got COVID and subsequently long COVID my partner and I have both had to take months off work like leave without pay we had both exhausted all of our leave in order to take care of me and and the kids as well I guess through you know all the lockdowns and then my partner couldn't you know go back to work for more than three days a week in fact ideally he'd be on two days a week but his um, employer you know isn't happy with him reducing it any further and then for me I just had to take leave without pay completely because you know I couldn't guarantee that I could work any particular number of hours a week so I've been on leave without pay for over 12 months now. I think I would like people to know that it's a real condition. Um, there's a long range of very debilitating symptoms that people have. For me, it's mainly fatigue. You know, the brain fog, kind of memory issues, and then um, I guess the flow-on effects on my mental health. But there are people who struggle to breathe. They can't walk. They're you know stuck in bed. They're stuck in wheelchairs. I've been in the you know stuck in a wheelchair myself. Those aren't things that you make up for the sake of attention or, you know, to push some kind of political agenda. You know, we are people with real lives and real families and hopes and dreams and things we need to get done. And it's like a silent pandemic of sorts, you know, underneath our, you know, existing pandemic. We're talking about
0: long COVID and how people can navigate the world of work as they recover. With me is Dr. David Petrino, a physiotherapist who specialises in neuroscience. David, we hear a lot that people with long COVID feel ignored by society. They may even be dismissed by some doctors who put their symptoms down to being psychosomatic or all in the mind. Why is this?
2: You know, I I think that most clinical providers have have an over-reliance on what can be detected with, with the basic testing that we do. So, you know, when you're unwell and you go to the doctor and they take your blood, um, they they test for a very superficial physiological panel. Um, And similarly, when they're putting a stethoscope up to your chest and looking at the way that you breathe, these are all, you know, very skin-deep assessments. It's not an in-depth assessment of of what is happening with your physiology. Um, But for some reason, we've been comfortable saying that if all of those very simple tests come back uh, within normal limits, uh, we can sign off on a clean bill of health and tell someone that there's nothing wrong with them, despite what they may be telling you subjectively. You know, I can't get out of bed, or if I walk uh, from my bed to the toilet, I need a whole day to recover, or, you know, it, or I'm getting very intense migraines, or my heart feels like it's beating out of my chest. So I, I think that what we're learning here is that um, there's this propensity, there's this 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 really strong want to, uh, you know, to try and explain away what we can't understand um, from these normal tests with, well, it must be all in your head. Fortunately, since long COVID has come onto the radar as of you know mid mid 2020. Thousands of publications have emerged where good researchers have done deep dives on the physiology of individuals with long COVID, and we're seeing multiple uh, evidences of abnormalities. We're seeing immune dysfunction. We're seeing inflammatory cytokine proliferation, so lots of inflammatory chemicals coursing through the body. We're seeing viral persistence, so we're seeing evidence of virus in the body that, ha- that has been left behind and is not being cleared by the body. We're seeing things called microclots and platelet dysfunction in people with long COVID. So at this stage, what I think is important to state very confidently is we have a strong level of evidence to suggest that long COVID is a organic biological illness.
0: And David, how have you worked with your patients to get them back to work specifically?
2: Little by little, and working in collaboration with our patients. In terms of getting someone back to work, step one Mm. is making sure that you do a very good job of quantifying how unwell they are to begin with and measuring these things that are hard to measure. For sure, they're hard to measure, but we do have methods for measuring them. And then over time, we put them through the rehab programs, we do our best to give them as much symptomatic relief as possible. We make as much progress as we can and we reintegrate work duties as part of their rehabilitation. And we take things slow. We make sure that we screen for post-exertional malaise or post-exertional symptom exacerbation. I think that is one of the most common symptoms of long COVID. And what can managers do to support their employees with long COVID? Um, Believe them understand that this is not like anything we've experienced before this is a you know this is a mass disabling event what managers need to do is very quickly come to terms with the fact that we need to completely overhaul our strategy for dealing with a sudden influx of many chronically ill individuals and really focus on Things that they should have, you know, frankly, should have focused on before in terms of making a highly accessible and inclusive workspace. So understanding that uh, having people with long COVID means having people working in your organization who have a chronic disability that are going to require altered workspaces, flexible hours, accessible spaces, and the option to work from home. Once again, these are things that should already be in place in your workspace because uh, many Australians live with a disability and they should be accommodated as a result of their disability. But I think now it is even more at the forefront.
4: I think pressure to come back too soon is a real issue. And another common theme is not pacing yourself enough. And that can cause relapse. Rachel
0: Suff is an HR expert based in the UK, where long COVID has been impacting workplaces for much longer than in Australia. And it's estimated 1.8 million people now have long COVID in the UK, and that number is growing.
4: We've carried out research with employers and it showed that almost half of organisations had people with long COVID. And now, because we're seeing it more and more as a longer term trend, It's the fifth main cause of long-term sickness absence in the UK. So it's a really significant issue. Rachel, what's a good first step for managers? I think first of all, having that one-to-one conversation and understanding how that individual is impacted because you can get such a different array of symptoms. So making sure that the support is tailored to that individual. But then beyond that, the kind of typical adjustments that were most helpful were things like reducing somebody's commute and back, so perhaps allowing them to work from home if that's possible or maybe staggering their start and finish time so they don't have to commute at really busy times, offering flexible working, different patterns of flexible working, maybe part-time hours for a while so they can build up gradually and then giving them ongoing support when they do return to work to make sure that the adjustments they have are still being effective because what we also found that you could have one set of symptoms and then later on you could have a completely other set of symptoms so you might need a different set of adjustments so it's ongoing review and an ongoing conversation with somebody. In the CIPD's
0: Working With Long COVID Report, you talk about a whole system approach for support.
4: Can you explain what that looks like? It's like an ecosystem. We describe it as an igloo. So it's having that support almost wrapped around you at work. Everybody's got a role to play in the organisation in terms of supporting, keeping people well and helping to mitigate the impact of somebody's long COVID symptoms, and it starts at the top of the organisation with leadership and management, and the whole organisation in terms of having the right policies, the right support, and the right uh, sort of management conversations, and uh, a manager sort of looking at your work and seeing how that can be adjusted. But it also means the group, which is the G in igloo. Um, So the I is the individual and the individual needs to be encouraged as well to have that self-management and uh, self-care and just try and understand what is happening with their symptoms with medical professionals to help keep themselves well and have a healthy routine. Um, But it is the individual, the group, colleagues as well. We know there's evidence showing that uh, peer support, has a protective effect for our well-being, And obviously, if somebody has long COVID and they work in a team, that could impact the whole team in terms of workload and um, also the support that you have. So it's really important that it takes on board the team dimension as well. So it's Igloo, the individual, the group, leader and the whole organisation. UK-based
0: HR expert, Rachel Suff. And head to This Working Life's program page for more on how to support individuals to navigate long COVID and work. To hear what kind of treatments are on offer in Australia, head over to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app as they go inside the country's first multidisciplinary clinic searching for a solution. Next time, the power of First Nations representation on boards. From an Aboriginal perspective, we don't exist as individuals. We Mm. exist as part of a collective. So you get into the boardroom on that and you bring that mindset. You start to talk about our organisation doesn't exist for its own sake, Mm. exists for a broader reason. What is the contribution we are making to the wider society we live in? This Working Life is produced by Rachel Bongiorno. I'm Lisa Leong and until then, love your work.
2: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.